0: Gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. Do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. The Gospel of the Lord.
1: Apocalyptic literature is a funny thing, not really haha funny, in fact quite the opposite actually usually, but uh, sometimes it's kind of just hard to understand, it's, it's difficult to figure out what's being said, what's going on, what's happening here. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's just me, maybe you all have it figured out. We have uh, a young person, a middle schooler, we were talking about what we might study this year, we had some options and they chose the Hebrew Bible. They wanted to kind of go back in some of those those stories of promise in the Old Testament. And But then one of them said, but also the end times, right? That's exciting. There are movies about that kind of stuff, all kinds of interpretations, most of them not biblical per se, but, but all kinds of, it's a fascinating kind of thing. Well, maybe it's just that I don't understand or sometimes don't grasp it always because Uh, Or even it's sometimes even uncomfortable to me because I haven't even really ever come close to facing the trials and tragedies that are often noted in these readings and especially in their larger context, the larger context especially of of Daniel and the whole situation with God's people, but also for Jesus and for his disciples as well. In fact, just after our reading in the gospel, Jesus says, starting in verse 9, as for yourselves, Beware, they will hand you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings because of me as a testimony to them, and the good news must first be proclaimed to all nations. The disciples, too, will suffer uh, because of whom they proclaim. I really never have. Once in a while, a demeaning word or a joke or something like that at my expense because of my following Christ, but... Not much, certainly not anything that would threaten my life. But to kind of sum that up, or whatever, in other words, and to kind of a great extent, apocalyptic literature in the Bible oftentimes isn't really speaking to my situation or our situation. And even if, and if it is, I may be on the wrong side of it, because oftentimes apocalyptic, apocalyptic literature speaks. To the power of the day. I may be on the wrong side of that power because, in the world of haves and have nots, I am a have for sure. And for the most part, apocalyptic literature is directed to give hope to those who have not. The situation, again, for the writing of Daniel is very dire, it's very hopeless. And the message that comes to Daniel is intended to give hope in the chaos. But even the message seems to be kind of a private one for a small number of people. Just after our three short verses in Daniel, starting in verse 4, Daniel says, or, or it says to Daniel, But you, Daniel, keep the word secret and the book sealed until the time of the end. That word to Daniel was meant to give hope to those who endured so much hopelessness, so much suffering. So that there was a picture of God's ultimate justice, even if that did not come in their lives. Well, Jesus also in our gospel for today has a more private conversation with his disciples. Outside, kind of a little bit away from the temple, it seems as if they're sort of sitting down on a bench, almost looking back at the temple. He's away from those people to whom he's been preaching during this time. So are these readings today for us? Maybe that's the ultimate question we should ask. Are they for us? Should we focus somewhere else? Well, if my humble opinion counts for anything, <laughs> I think it might just be a great time for us to dive into this passage. And maybe for a little more time for you than this Sunday hour allows. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Okay, feel free to study further. Well, let me just start with a couple observations. First, please notice that Jesus isn't the cause for the trials that he names. And neither is Almighty God, neither in this passage that we have from Mark, nor is it in in the passage that we have from Daniel. God is not the cause, and is often true of apocalyptic literature, including the book of Revelation, by the way, The focus is on the here and now. What's what's happening? It's naming the real and deep trials and the real and deep struggles of the people. In Mark's gospel, he's quoting Jesus' earlier words, but Mark is writing just a few years, probably before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, a time that will be a terrible struggle for God's people, leaving them defeated, leaving them, in many cases, without hope. See, this is sort of kind of a Jesus' Jesus's sort of stuff happens moment, right? He's naming these things. Knowing it's going to be really bad, he's naming it for his disciples. You see, it's as if, it's as if God is actually present with us. It is as if God actually cares about our lives, our struggles, our hardships, and the life of the world in general. And in that caring, let us see this truth. If we see nothing else, Jesus is not the cause of the trial, but he is the culmination of the hope within it. He is the answer to its hopelessness. In fact, we can see that the focus of the passage is not on the trials. That's not what Jesus is ultimately concerned about. His concern really is on these false I am's. That's the concern of Jesus for his disciples and for those who are going to follow after. The real trap, Jesus says, the real real conflict in all of this is being led astray. And perhaps in a sort of mirroring of the center of worship, the temple, you know, being torn down, Jesus says that to kind of start out and then the disciples run to him like, wait, when is that going to happen? So in a kind of mirroring way of that, that center of worship, and, uh, and, and it was, again, that destruction was a few years after Mark was written, perhaps it's kind of mirroring that this becomes then symbolic of all kinds of structures being torn down by the situations we often face in life. Specifically, this passage speaks to the tearing down of all the places we might put our trust. All the places other than the God of promise made known in Jesus Christ that we would put at the center of our lives. I think the temple becomes symbolic of all of those things as Jesus connects them to all of the I am's, all of those who would make God with a little g claims in our lives and in the life of the disciples. Does this start to hit home a little bit now? These words aren't initially comfortable because they tend to strip away some pretty closely held things. There was a lot of unhappiness, to say the least, around the destruction of the temple. Really, it was more like suffering and strife, and as the deaths of many of God's people came at the hands of the Roman soldiers. These were sobering times, and while no one, again, is attacking our church building or driving us into the hills to flee for our lives, we do find ourselves living in times where we are asking bigger questions of life. We are being pushed out of our relative comfort. And I know that happens for everyone at some point in their lives individually, but it's kind of happening for all of us as a people, as a nation, as a world. We're asking these bigger questions of life, maybe that we haven't had to confront before. Privilege and ease of life are kind of cloaking devices to the fragility of our life. And hardship, especially that which is totally out of our control, is not only inevitable, it is sobering. I say it's inevitable because many will stand up and kind of pontificate and blow all kinds of hot air about how this is the time and this war is the sign or this, you know... Whatever it might be is the fulfillment of this and you know like the sandwich board thing It happens on the sandwich boards and the sides of the streets. It happens on television as well with maps behind I don't know if I I remember as a as a college student seeing this guy who was on TV and he had this whole map about how Exactly the 90s were going to be the last decade of our lives and how it all was lining up with the book of Revelation Well, we can always do that, right? Martin Luther and the people of his time did it in 1.5K. We did it in 2.0K, you know, <laughs> in the year 2000 or 2012 or whatever it might be. We can always line up wars and rumors of wars and hardships and destruction. It is sobering. It forces questions of ultimate hope and trust. It puts all of our I ams on trial. Puts them all to the test as if to ask, how are your gods, small g holding up? And ultimately it finds them lacking. In our comfort, sometimes we we tend to do things, a lot of different things. We can do things or we can, can say things like, for example, you deserve to be happy. I deserve to be happy. But the truth is we don't. We deserve nothing. Our entitlement is not only false, it is very fragile. And when we hold that in the center of our lives and it is undone, we can lose our center. But, and here's the big but of the sermon, <laughs> although stuff happens inevitably, again individually and collectively for us, although life is fragile and although we deserve nothing, Jesus tells us quite clearly that we have Everything, even if everything else is taken away. A couple of weeks ago when we celebrated uh, uh, Reformation Sunday on All Hallows' Eve, we sang a mighty fortress, and there's that wonderful verse from a mighty fortress. Were they to take our house, goods, honor, child, or spouse, though life be wrenched away, they cannot win the day. I don't know how I feel about that if I really read that. My house, my goods, my honor? Okay, maybe. My child? My spouse? My, own, my life itself? No way. But even when those things are gone, still we are not found without an anchor, without a promise, without hope. Our hope our joy, our promise of belonging, of meaning, our center individually and collectively as God's people, do not waver in the midst of chaos. I mean, they might for us. They might waver in our own mind, but ultimately the truth is they do not. Chaos, large or small, because we are not held by things like happiness or security or anything else that can be taken or shaken. We are held fast. We are centered by the God we know, the God of promise who has come to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and who gives us our salvation in this life and in the life to come, no matter what, no matter what, no matter what. Thanks be to God in Christ. Amen.